0: Our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this privilege, this honor, this wonderful opportunity to fellowship together, to gather together as family, in the unity that you've provided, Father, that you knew about from eternity past, that you would have ordained for all of us this morning specifically. Thank you for this morning's lesson. Thank you for always shining light on such things through the Gospel of Your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank You for reinvigorating us each and every day, for refueling us, for encouraging us, for never, ever giving up on us, always holding us up. We know that all things are possible through You, Father. We've experienced it. We know it. We depend on it. Our very hope is based on it. For therein lies our salvation. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us this morning, but earnestly desire to be so. That they understand that your will is done each and every day, and that even so, we desire to see them soon again. We pray also for those that are still lost in this world, Father, that need the gospel so desperately, some of them not even fully aware of it yet, Father, for you are still tilling the soil. Thank you for your patience in doing so, and thank you for the opportunity that we might have as individuals in evangelizing those people. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to our benefit. We do just ask for blessings on this, evening, on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, what is repentance and who gets to define it? Part 13 uh, last week concluded a mini-series titled Plainly Stated Doctrine in the Book of Acts, which produced the following recurring theme in our studies. This came up on Thursday. Um, You know, what is heaven to you? Primarily, that is. Is it a destination? Sure, it's a destination. But is that all it is to you? Is it just a destination, a place that's as far as possible from hell? Because who really wants to go to hell? Or is it a place where you can fellowship with the Lord? In other words, is your great hope, is your great anticipation to spend quality time uninterrupted with the Lord? Is that not is that not what bothers the heck out of you each and every day? I just wish the rest of the world would just shush for a moment. Stop attacking my computer. Stop attacking members of my congregation. Stop attacking my family. Stop attacking my conscience. Stop attacking. You know what I mean? I just want to spend quality time with my Lord. And it is just always under assault. You ever feel that way? It's just a constant barrage to take our fellowship away. And so is, it, is heaven just a destination away from hell? Or is it a place where you are looking forward to fellowshipping with the Lord all the time? Those are two different things. Do you understand? Those are literally two different things. Very different uh, viewpoints on the topic of heaven. As I mentioned on Thursday, so much of what has come from this pulpit over the past year, including our current series on repentance, has been one particular issue. And it has to do with the point on the board. Because there are some people who say, oh yeah, I got my ticket to heaven. But Jesus is going to say to them, I never knew you. You had no real interest in me. You only wanted to secure some bus ride to a place that wasn't hell. That wasn't fiery and brimstone and that kind of a thing. Because someone scared you and you said some little prayer at some point in your life. And then you went on your way. So there's been this sort of recurring theme of repentance and one particular issue has been coming out from the pulpit for a very long time now. And that is the false profession of faith. The Bible speaks profusely of false professors. It's not the only topic, obviously, but it's the topic that the Spirit Himself chose for this pulpit for I would say the better part of a year now. The better part of a year. That there are actually individuals in our vicinity, in churches this morning, that look a lot like this one, may even teach a lesson like this one. They're not saved. That are false professors. The Bible speaks profusely of these individuals. And just reflecting on that, as we did on Thursday, you know, if you were to open up your Bible, you literally, except for the fact that it's translated in English, but if you had the original language in front of you or the manuscripts, it would have you. Every letter in Holy Scripture, even the spaces, is truly precious. It's truly precious. Every letter. So we must accept the plain truth that God the Holy Spirit inspired many accounts of false profession for a reason. He didn't just say, oh, well, I have some dead space. I want this book to be bigger because, you know, it's my dad's term paper. So I got to, you know, like, you know, you know, remember like in the grade school when you say, okay, I'm going to stretch it to like double space. (laughs) Teacher says, I want this for three pages. People come in as like this much space between God didn't do that. Every letter is precious. And so we have to accept the plain truth that God the Holy Spirit, when He inspired the Bible, inspired the record of many such cases of false profession. And so there has to be a reason for it. It's so that we all, many years later, would not grow dull of hearing and listening to false professors or pretending that false professors don't exist i mean we may listen to them even in so-called christian churches we should not be we should not object to the idea that false professors exist in churches like this one even as i've intimated in the past there have been several people in this congregation who have intimated their own false profession of faith over the years. How do I know? Because they just got saved. Which means when they were sitting here, they were false professors prior. So the truth of the matter, the reason why the Spirit's not only inspired such things in the Word of God, but has inspired our lessons so many years later, is simple. False profession is a very real danger. This has been the main artery supplying our lessons over the past year or so. The Bible tells us that there are many false professors, including teachers, in this world. For example, Matthew 7:22, Luke 3:8, 8, 18, 9, 9 to 14, Romans 10, 1 to 3, etc., 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 etc. There are a lot of accounts, my friends. One of the great things captured in the book of Acts, which was the series we just came off of, For example, is the presence of false professors, like Simon the Magician, for example. As we've learned in the past, particularly with our previous series titled, Why Are the Apostles So Encouraging? Our Lord likes to teach us His doctrines by having us apply them to real-life situations. That's what I like about the book of Acts. We get to see, what did it look like when the early church was being developed? When the disciples went out and spread the good news, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, did they just pontificate from ivory towers, or did they actually put on their sandals and go? And so our Lord likes to teach us His doctrines by having us apply them to real-life situations. That's one of the themes that we got that we gleaned from Why Are the Apostles So Encouraging? because he would teach them, and then he would send them, and then he would teach them a little bit more, and he would send them a little bit more, and they would fail and come back and say, what happened? he said, because you don't have faith, yada, yada, yada. This is the particular angle in which the Spirit used on Thursday to launch us into a little sidebar worth reviewing this morning. Again, up here on the board, first of all, first, uh, false professors. One of the hallmarks of false professors is a distinct inability to apply godly principles in their own lives. A distinct inability to apply godly principles in their own lives. Unconverted people still abide in their sins, seeking their own glory despite using all the right language and performing religious acts even. I mean, that's what, for example, Simon the magician wanted, right? He said, hey, what do you want? You want want a little money so I can get the spirit? Because I like this thing that's going on. I want to do religious acts. I've been sort of faking it for a while, but I, it looks like you guys have the real deal. What do I need to get that? Religious people... Now listen, we were talking about this before class, Todd and my mom and myself. Religious people are the devil's own. So says the Lord. Go to Proverbs 26, 22. Religious people are the devil's own. People that go to church under false premises, who are just going through the motions, who are just trying to live up to some fleshly standard, they're the devil's own. Because that's what the devil would do. If Satan himself walked in those doors right there, all of you, my biggest fear is you guys wouldn't even pay attention to me. He would walk in. First of all, I know it's hard to believe he would be better looking than me. I know. I know it. Just get by it. Just go with it, even if you don't believe it. <laughs> he would walk in. Everybody would turn and go, oh, my word. And then he'd start talking, and you wouldn't hear a word I was saying after that, at least for a while. You'd be mesmerized by him. He wouldn't be nasty. He wouldn't, he'd be probably the most presentable person you've ever seen. He'd be the most well-spoken. He'd be the most affluent. He'd be the most everything. He'd be very attractive. To you but he's the devil and that's what the devil does to deceive people how often? when's the last time you get deceived by someone who you can't even look at when's the last time you've been deceived by someone who's who you object to who's offensive to you it's always the person who has an in speech is smooth as butter Flattering words, right? Ladies, you know, how, you know how easy that is with guys? Just flatter them a little bit. Have you, have, you been, have you been working out? Well, now that you mention it, I've been doing a few push-ups. <laughs> right? Next thing you know, blood all left the head. Don't even know what's going on at that point. I go where you go. And the girl just puts a little gold ring in his nose and walks around like this. Oh. Perfect example. That's what that's what the devil does. Proverbs twenty six twenty two. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body, like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross, or burning lips in a wicked heart. Boy, the Lord really doesn't hold back, does he? He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Um, That's the Spirit of Christ who authored that. Any questions? The Bible tells us that mankind is very good at hiding and pretending. Again, the point on the board. One of the hallmarks of false professors is a distinct inability to apply godly principles in their own lives. Unconverted people still abide in their sins, seeking their own glory despite using all the right, quote, language and performing religious acts. And you know what? You know what? Here's what I see in the Bible. Jesus had a zero-tolerance policy for false profession. Doesn't mean he didn't want to evangelize someone. Doesn't mean he didn't want them to save, because that was his whole mission, right? Just like us. But let us step back and say, no, 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 no. I have no tolerance for phonies. For phoniness. I don't like it. I hate it. Ah, but that was like, you know, 2,000 years ago, right? I mean, why would a pastor like myself ever want to stir the pot like this? Trust me when I say, I'm not popular right now. I haven't been popular for probably three years. Why would I do that? I mean, shouldn't I be, like, attractive like Satan? Shouldn't shouldn't I be the, you know... The attractive pastor, shouldn't I really just sort of up the ante a little bit and and attract more people and and, and lower my guard and, and make myself more accommodating and my doctrines more accommodating so more people would come through the front doors? Shouldn't I do that? Should I sacrifice my own integrity, my promises, my commission under the great shepherd himself? Should I do that very thing for the sake of numbers? hey, maybe I can get a a new Mercedes if I get enough of you guys in here. All I have to do is just look the other way a little bit and lower my standards and not want to have and hold God's standards. Just lower them just enough so more people come in. And when they stop coming, lower them a little bit more. And when they stop coming, lower them a little bit more. And told what? I have a watered down gospel that's not offensive to anyone. Do you really think that Jesus Christ's life wasn't utterly offensive? I mean utterly offensive. That was literally the distinguishing feature of his life. He's a rock of offense, right? Who is he offensive to? Religious people. Self-righteous people, arrogant people who said, I will make my way into heaven by doing this, 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 and this. I'll even build a, I'll build a ladder, I'll build a pyramid, I'll build whatever it takes to climb my way up to heaven. Do you want, What do you want? Do you want an honest pastor or do you want the guy that teaches that stuff? So that you can come here with more of your family on a Sunday morning even though it's under false pretenses. I mean, why would a pastor like myself ever want to stir the pot like this, especially when there are so many Christians running around today proclaiming Jesus' own name? The answer, because they are preaching a different Jesus of another gospel from another spirit. Up here on the board... On the topic of false professors, today's so-called Christian churches are riddled with spiritually impotent people pretending to spread the good news about Jesus, yet they are equipped to do, all they are equipped to do is bring glory to themselves, their church buildings. I don't know, their band? I don't know, singles night? Uh... I don't know but there's a whole host of things that bring glory to self that have nothing to do with the Spirit of Christ and they are not even empowered or encouraged from that same person of the Trinity today's so-called Christian churches are riddled with spiritually impotent people pretending to spread the good news about Jesus yet All they are equipped to do is bring glory to themselves, their church buildings, you name it. And right about now is a perfect time, by the way, for a balance statement. What I'm not ever supposing is that I know exactly who I'm speaking to when I speak of false professors. So take my name and any unction, any accusation you might have against my person on this subject. Who does he think he is? and throw it out the window. Because I have no intention of saying, You're, you've got a problem, and you have a problem, and you don't, and you don't, and you do. I have no intention of doing that. Do you see indignation from this pulpit? You'd have to be sleeping not to. But it's not against individuals, so to speak, although I know individuals exist. It's against the presence of evil in even a church like this one. And false profession is evil. So what I am not ever supposing is that I know exactly who I'm speaking to when I speak of false professors. The Bible tells me they exist often in droves. For example, Matthew 7:23, 25:31 to 41, 1 John 2:19, 2, 2 John 1:7. For example, For example, Most of you already know the first verse in the list. Matthew 7, 23 reads, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. People that were religious. I don't know you. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Yeah, but you did it all for yourself. Not for me. Because I saw your heart. and It's dark. Let's look at these other passages now. Go to Matthew 25, 31. Matthew 25, 31. So again, we're on a balance statement here. I don't want you to get lopsided. I want you to know that the Bible tells us that these individuals exist often in droves. False professors. Individuals who look the part. And there's a lot of real estate in that precious Bible of yours dedicated to those people. Why? Why? Isn't it obvious? Matthew twenty five thirty one. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right, and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty? and give you something to drink. Drink. And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink I was a stranger and you did not invite me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me then they themselves will also will answer Lord when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you then He will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to Me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You know exactly what the Lord's saying there. You know exactly the, the line in the sand that He's drawing, don't you? These are heart issues, my friends. Again, the point on the board What I'm not ever supposing is that I know exactly who I'm speaking to when I speak of false professors. However, the Bible tells me they exist often in droves. Those are Jesus' own words we just read regarding false professors. And Paul had plenty to say also. For example, go to Acts 20.27. Go to Acts 20.27. Remember the modus operandi, the M.O. of Satan. If he was going to walk through this door, he's not going to come in with guns blazing. He's going to infiltrate, he's going to infect. And if you're trying to blow up a household, what do you do? You work your way in. Just like a home wrecker would. They work their way in. How? Through flattery, through all kinds of back doors. To do what? To blow the household up. What do you think Satan's trying to do? Contain the house of God or blow it up? Acts 20.27 For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on God for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves. You see it? From your, among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Do you see the infection? Do you see it? From within. That's how you blow up a home. You infiltrate, you infect from within. Right? Again, I'm not saying I know who's who, but I do know they exist and in droves. Why? Because the Bible says so. Go to 1 John 2.19. 1 John 2.19. You want to wreck a household, you don't do it from without. When the storms come from without, people bat down the hatches, right? And everybody locks arms. And the family unit or the household unit gets stronger. But what happens when one of the people on the inside is the devil? What happens when one of the people on the inside is corrupt and infected? And with greater responsibility comes greater power. And vice versa. That's why what, not that long ago men be a man, act like men. 1 John 2:19 They went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out, so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. Where did they come from? From within. And finally, go to 2 John 7. 1-7. There's only one chapter, so... However you'd like to denote it. 2 John 7. Okay. How many deceivers? Many. Many. You see it? That's not a mistake. That's authored by the Spirit of Christ. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Who's a bigger threat? A Hindu? A crazy Muslim? Or a false professing Christian? Who's a greater threat? Who's a better deceiver? Who's a better deceiver, a counterfeit? If someone gives you an an Indian rupee and says, "Hey, this is a U.S. dollar," you're gonna go, Pfft. "What?" Right? But if someone gives you a good counterfeit, Benji, some of you probably be like, "If I can't figure it out, I'll just spend it down there and launder the thing." Like, quick, let's go. Pfft. I'm, all right, I digress, right? What? Which one's the deception? Which one's a better deception? If you're a Satan, you don't give somebody a rupee and say it's a U.S. dollar. You give them something that looks almost literally identical. Starting with the gospel. From another spirit. Of a different Jesus. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. All right, here's a good question. Worth reflecting on. How many of these deceivers are actually deceived themselves? That's a good question. You might say, oh, well, you know, they're just evil and they they have horns and, you know, they're just, they're malicious and they're trying to, they're trying to, you know, blow me up and they're trying to, (coughs) excuse me, mess with my spiritual life. But Okay, so let me ask you a question before you get all crazy. How many of these deceivers are actually deceived themselves? In other words, do you think that every deceiver is malicious at face value? Huh. Do you think that every deceiver is fully aware of their condition? Do you think that every deceiver is purposely aggressive against the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's food for thought. Some of these people are completely convinced that I'm smoking crack, that I'm lost, that I have the gospel wrong, and they will fight me tooth and nail. Again, the principal on the board has a balance statement. What I am not ever supposing is that I know exactly who I'm speaking to when I speak of false professors, but I do know that the Bible tells us that they exist often in droves. That I'm very aware of. I am like any good shepherd, and you should know this. I'm just very well aware of the presence of wolves in sheep's clothing. Unlike the omniscient Jesus, though, I can't see which of the flock are wheat, and which are tares. I can't do that thing that Jesus does. I can't separate them the way He can. I just know that they exist. I might look over a a flock of sheep and know, because the Lord basically has told me, there are some in there that are pretending. You can't see them, but just know that they're there. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. And because they're clothed like sheep, you can't see them, but I can, because I see the heart. But I want you to teach knowing that they exist. And I want you to teach adamantly that this is true. But I'm not going to tell you which ones. So as the parable goes, I must simply teach this truth and leave the two growing in the same field, side by side, never knowing exactly which is a true believer and which is a pretender. It's not even really my business. Go to Matthew 13.24. Matthew 13.24. It's not really my business even. In the strictest sense, Matthew thirteen twenty four. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. And went away. If you know anything about this agriculture, these things look a lot alike. Tares and wheat, they're almost indistinguishable, okay? And then went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Just imagine for a moment if I'm teaching a family of five right now. Or ten, just so nobody says, Oh, they're talking about us. Ten, okay? Five of them are unsaved and five of them are saved. If I go like this, You five over here, you're all unbelievers. They're all going to get up and leave. Because how dare I do that thing? So I can't do that thing, can I? That's between them and the Lord. I'm not interested in pointing at individuals, inside of individuals' families, and saying, you might have a real problem. You might want to look after this one. If, the, if, listen to me, if God the Holy Spirit does that to you in your own soul and reveals to you, hey, I think there's a problem in my family, well, that's between you and the Lord. Good, good. Be convicted. Whatever happens in your family, that's your business. But I'm not going to reach over the threshold and say you, you, and you. Not my business. Look at verse 29. He said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. In other words, let them be. Let them grow together. Allow both to grow together, verse 30, until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. In other words, that's the Lord's business not the shepherds. My business, teach the truth. If you're convicted by it, good. If you're an unbeliever and you get saved, even better. But let us not play pretend that the tares are not among us. Again, I'm well aware of the presence of false professors in the churches, and and, and frankly, I don't lose one bit of sleep over pointing such things out, since my Lord Jesus persistently railed against false profession of faith. Up here on the board, Luke 11:44. He had no problem. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. The practical reality is that self-righteous people do not like to be outed by the truth. So, you know, when people start taking offense with me, or the ministry, or any one of you, because you know the truth about the Lord, you're well-versed, you understand what Holy Scripture says, you're convinced of it, you're living the gospel reality, you're out there spreading the word, um, you're fulfilling the Great Commission to the best of your God-given ability at this point. The problem is, people are going to be offended. If they were offended with Him, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you, right? If they're offended with him, if he was the rock of offense literally walking around and everybody was offended except those that followed him, but the gate was narrow, then they're going to be offended with you. That's the practical reality. And when self-righteous people get offended, it's like cornering a rat. That's basically what happens. You give them the truth. You may say it as kindly and as presentably as possible without any, um, arrogance of your own, with a completely loving heart. And they're going to turn that around on you so fast, they're going to bite you like a cornered rat because the, the truth in the word of God says, Nope, can't get out that way. Nope. Can't get out that way. Nope. 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 Next thing you know, they got a little space and God, the Holy spirit has got the, the spotlight on them. And what do they do? They bite you. Because they don't want to be there. That's self-righteous arrogance. It's like a cornered rat. So instead of humbling themselves, they do as Satan, the great attorney does. They lawyer up. How am I going to get out of this? We talked about this on Thursday. They lawyer up. Remember, Satan means attorney. When confronted with truth, arrogance always lawyers up like its father, the devil. Always looking for loopholes and ways to twist the simple truth in order to justify itself and its ungodly deeds. That's what arrogance does. It lawyers up. How can I find a loophole? It may even use this. Read Matthew 4 when you go home. Did not Satan use Holy Scripture to try to trip up the Lord? He had no problem doing that thing. How about Genesis, did he say? Did he not twist the words of the Lord Himself? He had no problem doing that. That's what lawyers do. They're not interested in the spirit of the law. They're interested in the letter of the law. <laughs> the spirit speaks of the one whom all Scripture is about—Jesus Christ. The lawyers go after the letter. Jesus Christ said that, didn't He? He says, "You're in here looking for." For eternal life and such. And these words speak of me. And you reject me. Because you want to lawyer up for your own self-righteous desires, your own lusts. That's what lawyering up means. So when you corner someone, they're not going to like it. Because it forces their hand. We have a perfect example of this in Holy Scripture. Go to Luke 11:45. 45 Make no mistake about who's speaking up here, and it wasn't the only time, obviously. Luke 11:45 One of the lawyers said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us, too. (laughs) So? Can you imagine what he's saying to himself, so? (laughs) I'm God. (laughs) You think I care if I insult you? Just put that into perspective. You insult us. That's literally the same thing as you going home, getting on your knees... Praying to God, hey God, you insult me. <laughs> Why are you laughing? That's exactly what they did. This was the God, man, was it not? You're insulting us. The, the audacity. What is t- what is Teshuka? It wants to lord over, right? It wants to put its... Uh, opponent on its back. You know, like when, you know, you ever see two dogs fight and the fight's over when the one goes on his back and shows his underbelly? And the the, the one on top says, okay, I'm good. You showed me your underbelly. That's Tashuka. It wants to get you on your back. That's what the lawyers are trying to do with Jesus. Can you believe that? The lion? The lion? You're not going to get him on his back. Newsflash. He's not rolling over for anybody. But that's what, you see, that's what they want to do. But he said, woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You're a bunch of phonies. That's basically what he's saying up here on the board, on that topic of lawyering up. The question is, was the lawyer in Luke 11.45 concerned about his life insulting God? I mean, shouldn't that be our... Isn't that the very nature of repentance like we've been learning? Or was he concerned about the life of God insulting him? (laughs) You insult my sensibilities. You're not accommodating my desires. And this is the Garbage that's peddled in Christian churches today. If God is love, then he must love me enough to accommodate me. It's the same garbage that goes on in defunct marriages. If you really loved me, you would, you would succumb. You would give up on all the integrity that you know to be right. So I can have my way. And if you don't do that, you don't love me. That's the same kind of garbage that people are imposing upon God. God's not a God of love. See, that's why. How could God do this? How could God allow that? How could God allow this? That's Jeshuka. you see? <laughs> a lawyer is a perfect example. They're not interested in, a, in being... A, they're, they're mad that they're insulted, that their self-righteousness was insulted or is insulted. So again, was the lawyer in Luke 11.45 concerned about his life insulting God or was he concerned about the life of God insulting him? We know the answer to that. So let's follow up this with a little more reflection, shall we? Were these lawyers well-versed in Holy Scripture? Yep. Were they considered among the finest of God-fearing men? Yep. Were they looked up to? By those in the church. Yep. Yet Jesus despised them. Why? It's easy. Jesus despises selfishness. Yeah. The greatest among you shall what? Serve. Jesus Not a big fan of selfishness. Selfishness is just another, is a manifestation of self-righteousness, of pride, arrogance. The most selfish, self-centered people in the world are the most prideful, arrogant people in the world. They literally, some of them since birth, they never grew out of the world's revolves around them syndrome. You know, guys, listen, that's supposed to go when you're like one or two. But for some people, they still think the world's supposed to revolve around them. And they get angry when, says, when someone comes up and says, Ha, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's Jesus, you see? It's, it's about him. It's not about you. It's about him. Oh, no. Don't even talk like that to me. If God loved me, if this so-called Jesus loved me, he would accommodate me. Because that's what love is to me, to a selfish person. Because I'm a selfish lover, you see. That, my friends, is indicative of the flesh. One of the hallmarks of an unsaved person. Completely self-absorbed. Tied up in some funky, ungodly, fleshly notion of love. He went on to say in verse 52, Luke 11:52, 52, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who are entering. Up here on the board, the key of knowledge, just a little insight. The lawyers had frustrated others' access to truth. Shame on them. Although they outwardly professed loyalty to the Word, inwardly they refused the one <coughs> of whom Holy Scripture spoke. Luke 11.52, compare that to Acts 28.25-27, Matthew 23.13, I'll give you Acts 28.26, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand, and you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. Again, the instigating principle that precipitated the majority of Thursday's lesson was this point up here on the board on the topic of false professors. One of the hallmarks of false professors is a distinct inability to apply godly principles in their own lives. Unconverted people still abide in their sins, seeking their own glory despite using all the right language and performing religious acts. I mean, why else would a person go to church that's not even a believer? Why would a person go through the motions unless there was some credit to them? Well, I don't want my friends to think I don't want my friends to think that I'm not godly. I don't want grandma to know that I'm ungodly. I want want them to be proud of me. What does that sound like? A selfish person, a prideful person. I want everybody around me, because the world circulates around me, remember, I want everybody to be proud of me. So I'll do whatever it takes, and I'll morph. Into whatever it takes so that everybody around me thinks highly of me. Show me that in the Bible, and I'll show you an unbeliever. I'm not saying we don't have that in our lives, so don't get all itchy, right? I'm not saying that we don't have a flesh that we just read Romans 7. I'm not saying we don't battle with the flesh with such things. I want everybody to look at me. Ain't I pretty? And then you come to your senses. And you realize you're not? Does it matter? Really? Why are you concerned about such things? If you're not bringing glory to God, what good is it? If what you're doing, and I know this sounds extreme for most Americans especially who are so busy doing their jobs, If every single moment of your life is not bringing glory to God, what are you doing? Wait a minute, I need time for my work. Then go work. What's the Bible say? As unto the Lord. No, that's my space. That's for me. i got to pay my bills. (laughs) Well, maybe you wouldn't have so many bills that add up for this and this. Just so you can measure up. Just so you can pretend. Jesus had a zero tolerance policy for false profession. Jesus' distaste for this brand of arrogance is palpable. If you read the Bible, you, you, can, you can almost taste it. Go to Matthew eleven eighteen. 18. <clears throat> you can taste it. He despised this stuff. So why, oh why, are there so-called Christian churches this very morning refusing to take on this, I don't know, you call it a burden, call it whatever you want, this viewpoint? Matthew, you figure it out, isn't it obvious? Matthew eleven eighteen. 18, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he is a demon, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunken. See, you can't win with a lawyer, can you? Isn't that funny? You can't win with a lawyer. Because they'll just argue the case in two different directions. Use the same letter of the law, argue it one day for this client because they're paying the bills, and then argue it another way for this client because they're paying the bills. So, lawyers, in many ways, are prostitutes. Go figure. Is that surprising to you, by the way? Oh, and by the way, about 20 years ago, statistically, I can't say now, but 20 years ago, statistically, the United States had 75% of the world's lawyers. Verse 19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. That's right, wisdom does things through her possessors for the kingdom. Verse 20, Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Jesus had no problem with that. You want to to pretend you don't have to repent? You want to pretend like you're self-righteous? See you later. I'll shake the dust off my feet. Up here on the board, because they did not repent. Jesus denounced the cities that were abundantly blessed with his personal ministry. Corazon, Beth, Bethsaida, Capernaum. To whom much is given, much is required. Unbelievers in these cities were stubborn, arrogant, unrepentant. Look at verse 21. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago and in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles that occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent using their language and have revealed them to infants up here on the board. Jesus uses the arrogant crowd's own definitions of wise and intelligent versus infants to thank his father for his sheep. Jesus praised his father for imparting judicial blindness to the arrogant. Verse 26. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Up here on the board, I think this is where we ended on Thursday. The burden of life, the so-called burden of life. The yoke of arrogance is impossible, depressing its wearers. That's right. You want to don the yoke of arrogance? It's impossible. You will be depressed. You will be worn down. You will not be able to keep up. Contrarily, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. With God's power, all things are possible. Without it, nothing that brings glory to Him is possible. Nothing. You have to have His power. Anything good that ever comes from us is by His grace. Through His power. Again, that's where we ended on Thursday. Let's continue now with our second passage. Go to Matthew 23, 1. Matthew 23, verse 1. Get on this idea of the burden of life. The yoke of arrogance, impossible. Impossible. And the grandest stage of all on that statement is at salvation. Man cannot save himself, but God can save man. Matthew 23, 1. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. You see? They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling to move uh, move them with so much as a finger. They are not doers. Jesus had a problem with that. Jesus don't like phonies but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. Sound like you? Sound like somebody you know? Sound like anybody that's self-righteous? Or self-centered? Or egocentric? Or any of those things? Absolutely. They do all their deeds to be noticed by men. Were they religious? Yeah. Were they doing things in the name of the Lord? Yeah. Were they using Holy Scripture? to justify their actions, yes, but yet they're unholy. They do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is, Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Very, very, very strong language, my friends. Very, very, very strong language. Jesus was not a fan, for obvious reasons, of people saying, hey, this yoke fits just right, and it's a yoke of arrogance. This yoke fits just right, and it's a yoke called the treadmill. And when you're on the treadmill of arrogance, you will wear out. And you know what they do? Those same people... They kick you off the treadmill and say, next. And you're just in a slump over there, and you wonder why they don't care about you. Because they never loved you in the first place. You were just a tool, you were a pawn in their own self righteous kingdom. One where they were the kings. Do you see? You're just a pawn. Go to 1 John 5 1. This is the last passage on this point. 1 John 5, verse 1. I love 1 John so much. Oh, man. 1 John 5, 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we Love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. Do you see what I just said? you remember the opening principle? Someone who's unsaved cannot do that. They have a distinct inability to be able to do the things that bring glory to God. That's what he's saying. You see, I'm just a repeat. I'm just a bus driver that's all i am he says say it this way okay if they don't get it because they're really stupid say it that way some of them are really really stupid say it the other way do cartwheels make a fool of yourself which i do by the way put yourself on display like a jackass which i do by the way which isn't always fun by the way If you're wondering Whatever it takes. That's the love of God. What did Paul say? I become all things to all men. For what reason? So that some might be saved. What did Jesus Christ do? They murdered him. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are what? Not burdensome. That's the whole idea. Matthew 11.30, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's how God draws you to him. Starting with salvation. That's how he draws you to him. You really want to hold on to this yoke, huh? You really want to keep on keeping on with that self-life, huh? That's what you want. Okay, then. But I'm telling you, my way is easier. My way is better. Verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You ever feel like you're oppressed? You ever feel depressed? You ever feel like the world is so heavy that you just don't even want to get out of bed in the morning? You know what? Whatever is born of God overcomes that thing. Allows you, maybe you do spring out of bed in the morning. Maybe you are grateful to be alive, to spend one more day bringing glory to God somehow. Even if it's only for 30 seconds of that wretched day. Because you're in a mood. It's that time of the month. <laughs> I got a free pass. <laughs> right? And in 30 seconds, you have a break of whatever you're PMSing over. You have a break, right? And you do something that brings glory to God. Okay. Okay, wasn't a great day. Where's I going with that? <laughs> I have no idea. I just want to pick on the ladies. Because maybe I'm in a mood. Huh? Huh? Maybe men get to be a PMS once in a while. Ladies. For <laughs> this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the direction that He's drawing us. That's the point. He's drawing us towards him. Even after salvation, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Tired of trying to pick up that thing? The flesh is really arrogant, and and if you stick with the flesh, you're going to be tired. Even believers get tired. Why? Because they spend a day in the flesh. And at the end of the day, hopefully they realize, ah, crud. I just spent the majority of my day in the flesh. My roommate dominated me, Tashuka. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Again, that was to amplify the point on the board. The yoke of arrogance is impossible, depressing its wearer's. Contrarily, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. With God's power, all things are possible. Without it, nothing that brings glory to him is possible. That concludes our little sidebar. Just a couple of extra notes before I close. This past week instigated that sidebar and so much more. For example, and I do hope you're encouraged to keep on reading the book of Acts. There's just so much in there. And it's funny because I'm just as guilty as Scott intimated the same thing. For some reason, and I don't know why, but we have sometimes a tendency to, to leave the book of Acts out. Like we're like, I don't know if it's because of laziness or, I don't, or conf- I don't know what it is. But it's actually one of the most edifying books if there is such a thing. Because it's just like right there. But some of us are so hell-bent on figuring out this doctrine or that doctrine. or What does God say about this thing or that thing? Instead of actually just reading. Okay, here are people who were disciples of Christ. What did they do? Oh, look at that. Look at how they gave the gospel here. Oh, look at how they baptized. Oh, look at how they did that. Look at how they, look at how they talked about God, the Holy Spirit here. Look at how they, Oh, look at that false professor right there. Ooh. Right? Look at that guy. Look at... That's the beauty of the book of Acts. But so many of us, I'm convinced of it, skip it. We go from like reading the gospel of John right to Romans. And then back to Genesis. And then maybe back to Matthew. And then to the epistles. It's like, what what about Acts? It's like all the connective tissue, right? There's so much. It's like... Anyways... Rather than learning from specific letters that often address the particular issue we learn from the apostles doing or living out the gospel, that's why it's called Acts. So what our lessons have revealed to us is that if we're ever going to learn about how to fulfill the Great Commission, we ought to consult the Holy Book that actually reveals it to us plainly. That's what they were doing, right? He said, go out. At the end of Matthew, right, go out. Go evangelize to the far corners of the earth. Go. And what did they do? In the Book of Acts, you see it. This is what they did. They took the Great Commission and they ran with it. Well, what does that look like? Some of you might say, I don't know how to evangelize anybody. Well, then read the Book of Acts. Well, I'm afraid. Read the Book of Acts. I'm not confident. Read the Book of Acts. For example, In Acts, Jesus said to Paul, when he commissioned him... I'll give you the Amplified. I think you got a different version last week. Acts 26, 17, the Amplified. Choosing you for myself and rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, verse 18, to open their spiritual eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness and release from their sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified, set apart, made holy, by faith in me. It is absolutely obvious what Jesus was teaching Paul at the time. He was essentially equipping him for the work of service, as Paul later wrote about, Ephesians 4.12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. How do you build up a body if you can't get new members? (laughs) For the building up of the body, how do I go out and evangelize? Do you really know how to evangelize, really? Do you have it all nailed the day after you're saved, let's say? No. You're just a baby, an infant, drinking milk. And he says, I'm going to train you up. And I'm going to show you more things. And I'm going to keep you on this earth. And you're going to mature. And you're going to fall deeper and deeper in love with my son, whose spirit authored this good book. And people are going to start seeing it in you. They're going to start seeing him in you. And that's going to be the most attractive thing about you. Not your stupid hair. Or not your fantastic personality. It's going to be Jesus Christ. Too many people, Christians, spent way too much time dolling up. You know, like Scott going to the gym. It's like Scott, give it up, man. It's great commission. Spiritual muscle. You know what I'm saying? Hey, he's so homeless. like, I hear you. Yep. You know what I'm saying? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Our job is to save souls. Our job is to go out and evangelize. You're afraid to? Just keep learning the word of God. Keep coming to class. There are some people I'm thinking about right now that two years ago wouldn't even have dreamt of evangelizing people the way they do today. Not even close. Not even close. And now some of them, you can't turn them off. What's sweeter than that? That's the work of service. You've been built up for a purpose. God never doesn't have a purpose. Sorry for the double negative there, but you know what I'm saying. He always has a purpose. If you're still here... Everybody raise their hand if you're still alive. (laughs) Oh my God, Brendan! (laughs) Shake him, Tom. (laughs) He was kind of still for a moment, too. I'm like, you're still alive? (laughs) Now he raises his hand. (laughs) You have a purpose. Brendan, you have a purpose, my friend. Amen? You guys have a purpose. You're alive. That's a glorious thing. Paul's life was a living, active testimony to what God's grace does in a believer. With no one else was this more greatly realized than through the very embodiment of grace and truth, Jesus Christ, who made the following two statements worth your consideration in closing. And I just want you to synthesize these things. Of course, I give you the conclusion, so shame on me. Told you, there's some slow people in here. Luke five thirty-two, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who said that? Jesus. Luke nineteen ten, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Who said that? Conclusion: Jesus called people to repentance as a component of saving, as a component of saving them. Now, I know that's Ed Collins' talk, because I'm a dork. You may never speak like that. You may never go up to somebody and evangelize them and say, Jesus called you to repentance as a component of saving faith. <laughs> they might throw you out. This is why I'm in a cave and rode with But you know what I'm saying. You know what the Bible's saying. This is not rocket science. Jesus was very upfront about everything. He didn't tolerate false professors didn't like them very much. Despise self-righteous people who felt they didn't need to repent. Because they were good enough already. This is what the book of Acts teaches us, frankly, as plainly stated doctrine as we saw. With God, all things are possible. We are born dead, made alive, able, to do things like repent, believe, have faith, by His grace alone. Amen? Amen. That's Barheads. Definitely, Father, thank you so much once again for this fantastic privilege to study your word this morning as family, to fellowship with you, and then for the space and your providence to take these things out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs these things so desperately. We just ask for your blessings as we do so. And traveling mercies, we ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.